pray again uh, before we look at these words together. Father God, thank you so much for these wonderful, wonderful words. Thank you for the witness, the testimony of John the Baptist who you sent, that we can be sure of who Jesus is. Please, Father, would you do that this morning? Would you make us sure of who Jesus is? Show us why he is so worthy of our following and our love. In his name, for his glory. Amen. So that was our question that I introduced at the beginning of the service. Why Jesus? What makes Jesus worth following? What makes Jesus worth giving up everything for? Because that is what he calls us to. Why, why him? Why not anyone or anything else? Right, there are all kinds of people and ideas in this world that are saying, look, this is the way, this is the right way. If you, this is the way you should live your life. And if you live your life this, it's better for you, it's better for everyone else, it's better for the world, and, and so on. Why Jesus? Well, this morning we're going to be looking at the testimony of someone who explains why it is that Jesus is the one worth following. And so if you are a Christian this morning, I hope to encourage you that you are on the right path, as it were. You are following the right person. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'm really glad you're here, and I'm glad, or if you're at home and watching. But if not, with all due respect to other world religions, spiritualities, philosophies, I want to say that actually Jesus is the way, the only way, and the best way. We are going to be looking at the testimony of John the Baptist. Now, if you've been here and been following our little series in uh, John chapter 1, we'll have seen a bit of John before, and we've been told what his role was. So just glance back to John chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, so the the big big number 1 and then the little number 7 there. Talking about John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, the light of Jesus. Came as, a witness to, came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. can really be clearer about what John's role was there, can you? He was sent by God to bear witness, to testify about the light, to identify the light, to explain the light. So three times, in verse 7 and 8, we're told John was came to bear witness. Three times there. Now come and have a look at a couple of our verses um, today. So first off in verse 19, where we started. And this is the testimony of John. So here is the testimony. This is what we're looking at this morning. And then verse 20, you see it comes twice. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. Kind of flick down to verse 32 now. And John bore witness. And then finally, verse 34, the last verse, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. These words, uh, witness, testimony, they're words of the courtroom. I don't know if you ever uh, watch courtroom dramas um, or, or something like that. You know, a witness is brought to the stand. Well, they, they stand up and handle what well, they do. I, I, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And it says that's what we're having this morning. We're having this testimony from John. He says, I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about Jesus. John's John's God-given job was to identify and to explain the light, or the Son of God, 
as he said there, that we would believe. This testimony comes in two parts, and, and we're going to look at it in these two parts. I'll say very, very simple. John says, not me. It's part, part one. John says, not me. John says, it's him. That's part two. Not me, it's him. So first off, John says, not me. Uh, John, the gospel writer, they're not the same people. John, the gospel writer, I think assumes some knowledge that the first readers would have had about John the Baptist, but we may well not. John the Baptist came preaching, and his message was repent. That is, turn away from your wrongdoing. Turn away from your sins. You need to to turn to change and go back to God's. And he came preaching, and he was known as John the Baptist because he baptised people. He dunked them in water. That dunking in water was was a picture of repentance. So what happens is you you go down into the water, that's a picture of dying to your old way of life, and then you come up out of the water, that's picturing a new way of life. And that's what John was doing. He's preaching this this message of repentance and baptising people. And he was hugely successful, hugely successful in that People were coming from all over the place, all of that world, to come to hear him preach and to be baptised by him. And it was truly remarkable, remarkable because in those days, sometimes you would baptise what were called the Gentiles, so the non-Jews, not God's people. If you had a non-Jew who wanted to start following the God of the Jews, well, they might be baptised, they might have been dunked as a sign of that. But here, actually, God's people themselves, that would never have happened before. And they came, they heard, Paul, uh, heard John and they were convicted and said, yes, I need to be baptised as well. I need to uh, bring this change about in my life. And so people came from far and wide and word had travelled far and wide. And so our verses today start in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites, they're the kind of religious leaders, from Jerusalem to ask him. So the Jews in in Jerusalem sent this delegation to go and question John, who was just the other side of the the River Jordan. And so we know that John the Baptist, he's, he's special. Remarkable things are going on. And they're wondering, perhaps this is the, John is the long awaited Christ, the long awaited Son of God. God had promised he was going to send somebody who was going to uh, save and rescue God's people. And they thought, maybe this is it. And so they send a group out to go and look. If you're familiar with the the Gospel of John, you'll know that um, it is famous for Jesus' I am statements. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the bread of life. Uh, And five other things. Well, John has some, John the Baptist has some I am statements as well. Let, let's look at them. Have verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. What a build-up this is. I am not the Christ. Okay, bit of an anticlimax. Verse 21. And they asked him, well, what, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. You see how the answers just get shorter and shorter? John couldn't be clearer. He is not the Christ. He is not this promised rescuing king. He is not Elijah. Uh, Elijah, they were looking for Elijah to come back at the, the day of the Lord, this Elijah figure. And, and he says, no, that's not me either. Although in some sense he performs that same function. 
Uh, he's not the prophet. So uh, Moses, perhaps one of the greatest of Old Testament um, prophets and leaders of God's people, when he was about to die, God promised that he was going to send one who was like him. And so he thought, ah, here is this prophet. John says, no. You ever have those conversations that are just really hard work? Where you kind of ask it and it's kind of get nothing out of them. You keep trying to think of questions. Well, that, that's the impression we get here, isn't it? And you can almost feel the, their frustration in verse 22. So they said, look, look, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I, I can't just go back to them saying, well, he's not the Christ, he's not Elijah, he's not Moses. Well, who are you? John says, not me. And he, even here, he stubbornly refuses to, to respond. And again, he's, he's pointing away from himself. So verse 23, finally he does say something positive about himself, as it were. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John says, I am a voice. That's it. I'm just a voice, speaking. And here he's quoting, as, as John says, he's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. And from Isaiah, which is an Old Testament book, and Isaiah 40 and then onwards is uh, wonderful chapters of God promising his people that he was going to bring them out of exile and restore them to the promised land. And he was going to restore that relationship with himself. And in that he said, look, before that was going to happen, he was going to send this, this voice proclaiming this message. And this is what John says. I'm just this voice calling you to get ready for the Lord himself who's going to come. For the Lord who's going to save. But not me. Not me. Then verse 24 brings a a second set of questions. Um, It could be a new group of people coming. I think it's probably part of that original group. Um, But you see in verse 24, now they have been sent from the Pharisees. So I think it's probably a kind of subsection of that group. Anyway, they they ask him, they have their follow-up question. They asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're neither uh, neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophets. And once again, he doesn't answer their question. Instead, again, he points away from himself. So verse 26, John answered them, I baptise with with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. John says, look, I get you wet. That's what I do. I'm going to dunk you in the river. river. I get you wet. I baptise with water. My baptism, in a sense, does nothing except get you wet. My baptism doesn't change you at all. My baptism can't affect or change the insides. One commentary I read this week suggests that John's almost saying this with a bit of regret. I baptise with water. He, He longs to be able to do more. But that's all he can do. And he goes on and says, look, I am not worthy to untie the, strap, the sandals of this, this one who is among you who you don't recognise. That, that, that was a, the kind of worst, most demeaning task that somebody could be given. Uh, even Hebrew slaves wouldn't be given that job. It was so degrading. And John says, I'm not even worthy to do the most degrading of tasks for this one who is among us. Not me. 
It is interesting, isn't it, that John, the Gospel writer, spends so much time explaining what John the Baptist isn't. Let me just remind you again what I said about his his success um, at the beginning. John the Baptist led one of the most dramatic, if one of, if not the most dramatic, kind of revivals of God's people that there's ever been. He, he, huge crowds came to him, heard him preaching, responded by being baptized. It was one of the biggest turnings of, of God's people that there, there has been. And yet he tells us again and again that he is inadequate. He is not powerful or good enough to do anything more. He said, look, not me, I'm just a voice. And I think the reason that that John the writer spends so long explaining about John the Baptist's powerlessness is, well, if he was powerless to truly bring about this internal change within people, if the kind of like the best that there has ever been couldn't do it, well, then surely no one and nothing else could either. A world is full of religions and spiritualities and philosophies that says that this is the way to live. Do this. This is the best way. Let's not just kind of immediately write them off. A number of these things can do, can bring change. If you buy into a religion or a spirituality or a philosophy, it will bring change to how you live your life if you kind of take it on boards. The thing is, those things can only ever change the outside. It might change a bit of work, but only that external. It can't change the inside. It can't actually deal with our biggest needs and problems. John the Baptist, the best has ever been, says, not me. That's our first thing. Secondly, John says, it's him. Interesting that... uh, uh, the verse 29 starts with the next day. So for kind of whole night, anyone who'd heard him, whatever, and us, we're kind of left thinking, right, so it's not him, it's not him, okay, it's not him. But then have a look at verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not me, it's him. Behold, look, see him. And and I don't think we're just meant to see John the Baptist with this little crowd of of the religious leaders who are still there. No, anyone who's around. Behold, look, here he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God is such a big theme of the Bible. Um, We're not sure quite what John was thinking as as he was there, but perhaps quite likely it was the Exodus, when God's people were in slavery in Egypt, and when God commanded his people to take a lamb, a perfect lamb, and to kill it, and then paint its blood around the doorframe of their house. And so that night, when uh, God's angel passed over, an angel came over, he would pass over those houses where the lamb was killed, and where those who hadn't been, well, actually the firstborn died, and, and God's people were brought out of, of slavery in Egypt. The Lamb of God dying in the place of his people, so that when God saw the blood, he would pass over. 
It was there, but it was time, there, there time and time again in the Old Testament. This idea of sacrifice, that a lamb or an animal would die in the place of God's people. But as, as good and what a wonderful provision of God they were, it was never really enough. An animal dying in the place of a person, it was never really enough. And that is why Jesus, the Word, God himself, had to come. That's what we've been thinking about over the last couple of weeks in John's introduction. God became a man, fully God, fully man, and that meant that he was able to properly die in the place of his people, to truly pay for them once and for all. And John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, Sins, that, that, that uh, rebellion against God, that heart attitude that says, look God, I want nothing to do with you, I'm going to live my own way. That heart attitude that is worked out in so, so many ways in our lives. And Jesus is the Lamb who takes away the sins. And he takes away the sins of the world. It's not that just that he takes the, away the sins of little old me. Although that is wonderfully, wonderfully true. And little old me, little old you. But actually, Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. The world in John is a huge theme. It's a picture of uh, the, the world, not in terms of uh, the whole creation. or it's, it's God's creation living in rebellion against him, living in darkness. And Jesus came to take away the sins even of those who are rebelling against him. It's not kind of automatic, so it's not for everyone. We, we find time and again through John's call to believe in, the, in Jesus, and those who believe have their sins taken away. But Jesus is the one who can deal with the biggest problem in our world, sins. John's preaching was about repenting, was about turning away from sins. And he led people to, to do that in some way, but John could never take away those sins. But Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the one who takes away those sins. By the, the end of the Gospel, we see Jesus dying in the place of, taking those sins upon himself, dying in the place of his people. That is how Jesus can take away those sins once and for all. Jesus is the one that we need. Perhaps if your, your conscience is, is this morning or has been, been stirred, been troubled, because you're aware actually that you so often fail to live up to your own standards, and let alone God's. And what can you do with, with all that brokenness inside? Well, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Perhaps you're, you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, but sins have been uh, rearing their ugly heads yet again. And you're thinking, well, what, what, what about those sins? Can, can, can they really be taken away too? Yes, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Of course he can deal and pay with every one of yours too. John the Baptist says, not me, it's him. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Again in verse 30 and 31, John shows his humility, shows, saying that Jesus is so, so much greater than himself. 
here's the, here's the second reason. So the first reason why it's him is because Jesus is the Lamb of God. And here's the second reason, is that Jesus' baptism is so much greater and better than John's baptism. Have a look at verse um, 32. And John bore witness. I have seen the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. John, John here is talking about Jesus' baptism. Jesus too came out to the river Jordan to be baptised by him. And John knew that he was, that he was greatness. Was his. No, no, I can't baptise you. You're greater than me. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm going to be baptised. And as he was baptised, incredibly, the, the Spirit of God, the invisible Spirit of God in this physical manifestation comes down at Jesus' baptism and rests on him and remains on him. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God coming down was, uh, was mark out one of God's people as, as the leader, as the king, as the, the ruler. So it happened on, um, happened on the kings and the prophets and the judges. But the difference was here is in, those, with the, in the Old Testament, those times the Spirit came down on them and then went away. It marked them out but then went away. Here, no, the Spirit came down and remained on Jesus showing that he is the, the king, the ruler forever. Verse 33 goes on, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. Do you see again how John reminds us that I baptise with water? That's remarkable. John's baptism, in a sense, was so big and special and powerful that he was known as John the Baptist. That was what he was called, John the Baptist. And yet, John the Baptist baptised with water. But Jesus, he baptised with the Holy Spirit. God told him that the one whom the Spirit comes and remains, he's going to do a better baptism than yours, John. Your, John, your baptism, John, gets people wet. Jesus baptises with the Holy Spirit. Jesus' baptism works not simply on the outside, but on the inside. Jesus' baptism with the Holy Spirit on the inside washes clean, not just having a bath, but internally, washing clean of those sins that have been paid for by Jesus, offering and promising this new start. That old has gone, the new has come. And that doesn't mean that God's people are perfect straight away, by no means. But the Spirit who comes and then lives in all of God's people is that power to bring change and real change in our lives. Not just on the outside, but on the in too. Almost time for New Year's resolutions and the like, isn't it? I don't know whether you make them. I've, I don't, I've given up because they don't tend to last much beyond January. Because the point is, I can't really bring change myself. I can't do it. But Jesus, who baptises with the Holy Spirit, that, that happens at the moment of conversion for all of God's people, washes the old clean and is this power to change the new. Again, religions, spirit, world religions, spirituality, philosophies, they, they all offer hope saying, this is the way. But none of them give any power to bring that change. Whereas Jesus, the one who died, taking away those sins, is the one who baptises, gives power to bring that change in our lives. John says again and again and again, he says, it's not me, it's him. 
John, the, the best of religion, if we can put it that way, the very best, who did remarkable things, and yet he himself saw how very inadequate he was. And if he was inadequate, then no one or nothing else is going to have more power than that. It's him. He, Jesus, is the one who has the power not just to change on the outside a few actions, but has the power to change the inside. Because he is the one who died to take away sins, and the one who baptises with the Spirit to wash clean and to bring this new power. Why bother with Jesus? Why him? He's the only one. The only one who can take away sins and can give us power to change. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the testimony of John. Thank you for showing him who has shown us so clearly how inadequate he was, remarkable as he was. But we thank you so much that you sent the Lamb of God to deal with our biggest problem, to take away our sins. And Father, thank you so much that he baptises with the Spirit, washing clean, giving new power. Father, please would you help us to truly believe and receive the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.